This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This BFM budget 2022 special is brought to you by Ma Singh. I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is GG Well Played, a show that talks about all things video games. We're going to respond to the allegation made to esports in budget 2022 that was tabled recently. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Ali Johan and Ofnil Ting. Thank you, Hanif. Here are some news from the gaming world this week. We're going to start this week's news segment with an update to the Activision Blizzard scandal that has plagued the company recently. Its CEO, Bobby Kotick, has sent a letter updating employees on the next steps taken to address the multiple problems that they are facing in the wake of the lawsuit from California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing a couple of months back. Among some of the more notable steps planned by the company is zero-tolerance harassment policy, the waiving of arbitration in sexual harassment and discrimination claims, and massive pay cut for the CEO Bobby Kotick himself until the board of directors feels that certain diversity, equity and inclusion goals are met. Uh, For context, Bobby Kotick was supposed to initially earn around 155 million US dollars in pay package, but will now earn only about 60,000 US dollars per year in total compensation until the goals are met. Hmm. Other goals that Activision will be working on also include investigating $250 million in the span of 10 years in programs that supports diversity in gaming and technology industries, as well as expanding the number of women and non-binary people the company employs by 50%. It's a reconciliation step in the right direction for the company, and it manages to address some of the demands that's made by advocacy group called A Better ABK that's made up of its own employees. Uh, that demanded change by the management of the company. Okay, over at Ubisoft, a company that's also plagued by scandals of abuse and mismanagement, their own advocacy group called A Better Ubisoft congratulated A Better ABK on their success at the moment and questioned their own company's lukewarm responses to the scandals that have plagued their company. So that's another interesting one to watch. Up next, let's talk about Nintendo and their Switch Online expansion pack subscription that was released recently. Yep. A bit of context to the story, Nintendo recently announced their plan to release this subscription pack that will include a lot of classic games from their archives and beyond. This includes games from the beloved N64 and Sega Mega Drive that can be both played on the Switch. Wow, old school. Yeah, old school. Uh, The subscription is now available for the price of $50 a year for individuals. And while a lot of people are now looking forward to Nintendo taking ownership of their own IPs and products, the outcome is a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, according to the Eurogamer in their report, a bunch of games are suffering from multiple issues including lag and low frame rates, with certain games suffering from more specific problems. For example, with Mario Kart 64, gamers are not able to save ghost data as that feature required uh, the N64 controller pack in the original game. Um, another problem is that with Mario 64 version of the game included in the pack, players are not able to enjoy the vibration feature in the game unless uh, they change their switch to the Japan region or play the Japanese version of the game, which is kind of not straightforward. Yeah, these things are kind of upsetting for fans as they expected Nintendo owners of these IPs to do better, especially considering that they charge a certain amount for gamers to have access to these old titles, right? Uh, Not to mention Nintendo's very strict policy when it comes to emulation. We'll see whether Nintendo will do something with regards to this, but moving on. CD Projekt Red has announced last week that the release of Cyberpunk 2077 
for the PS5 and Xbox Series X will be delayed until the year 2022. Yeah, they were initially scheduled to come out this year according to the development roadmap that they announced and published in January. But they have since updated the roadmap and those versions are now scheduled for the first quarter of next year. Uh, based on new development roadmap, there will also be no further updates to the game for this year with the last patch updated being the version 1.31. Hmm. In case you missed it, it's close to a year now since Cyberpunk 2077 was first released at the end of last year. And here we are, still waiting for the game to be properly fixed. Of course, patches and hotfixes aside, they also provided free DLCs and so far, only one free DLC has been released. As for patches, CD Projekt Red has released 10 patches so far in their efforts to fix and improve the game. Uh, and moving forward, the priority will still be towards making quality of life improvements first over the promised DLCs. Yeah, so it's safe to say if you're still waiting for the game to be near perfect, as perfect as it can be, I guess you need to continue waiting uh, because otherwise we think the game is uh, right now at a slightly better place uh, and if you can put up with all of these little imperfections then that's where we are. Uh, just keep your expectations low and you'll find perhaps and you'll perhaps find joy in the story and the experience. Last but not least, Marvel Entertainment will be partnering with Skydance New Media led by veteran developer and former creative director for the Uncharted Games Amy Hennig to produce a new game. Yep, true to Amy's forte, the upcoming title will be a uh, narrative-driven blockbuster action-adventure game featuring a completely original story and take on the Marvel Universe. No announcement has been made on which Marvel characters or IPs will be featured in this game, uh, nor did she mention the release dates or platforms on which the game will be released. Amy is an industry veteran and she joined Skydance in 2019 after working for EA on a Star Wars game that did not see the light of day and was eventually cancelled. Uh, prior to that, she was with Naughty Dog and was heavily involved in the uh, highly successful Uncharted series. Yes, that is some CV. She also uh, founded Skydance New Media with veteran electronic arts developer Julian Beek. Uh, and at the time, the aim of this arm of Skydance is to produce story-focused entertainment. Uh, so, um, Amy Hennig is still highly regarded in the industry and her collaboration with Marvel this time uh, themselves, Marvel, who've been doing a lot of great stuff in the gaming industry, is something that we are definitely looking forward to. And uh, that's all we have for this week's news. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Ali and Ofnil. Budget 2022 was tabled recently, and despite the circumstances surrounding the world at the moment, allocation was still made to esports to ensure the continuous growth of the industry. In this year's budget, a total of 20 million ringgit is allocated for the development of national esports, including 5 million ringgit to create a drone sports center of excellence. And on top of that, the government will also be allowing an income tax exemption on recognized esports tournament prize money on the back of the success of our athletes in recent years. The allocations made to esports have been quite consistent over the years since it was first tabled in budget 2019, but how have we been spending the money so far? Ahmed Faris Amir, CEO of Esports Integrated, will be answering that question and more. But first up, here's his reaction to this year's allocation. <laughs> I was hoping for more, to be honest. But considering the pandemic and considering that esports has a lot to prove to the government and the general public, um, we're very happy with um, the budget. I think what the budget essentially says that there is a level of trust um, which led to a consistency of budget being allocated three years in a row and now coming to the fourth year the budget has been about the same 15 20 15 20 which is a good thing so 
we are happy, we are thankful to MOF and we are extremely excited to do more work for the ecosystem uh, next year. So yes, thank you MOF. Thank you for the budget. Okay, like, I would like to to know yeah, what you plan to do with this uh, particular allocation. But before that, I think based on what I've been reading, well, I think a lot of people welcome the fact that we have been allocating budget for, for eSports. It seems that a lot of people are not very sure as to how the money has been spent, right? So perhaps, yeah, I guess maybe we can, you know, we don't have to go as far back or maybe we can but you know let, let's go to last year's budget right i think we were allocated around 15 million as well for esports um perhaps maybe you can help share how the money has been spent for last year's allocation okay uh, i'll first say that i'll take that question as a constructive feedback meaning either what we've done hasn't been uh, shot out enough or that maybe what we've done isn't tangible enough for people to see it maybe there's not enough pr surrounding it uh, that's on behalf of um, ESI and KBS to a large extent. But when it comes to the budget, I think firstly that I need to say is that the budget that was um, allocated for the past three years were distributed between different agencies. While MDAC were involved in it during the first year, but at least last year as well as the year before that, the budget was um, distributed between MSN, Matisuka Negara, and there were also allocation for Jabatan Belia and Sukanegara. And since last year, there was some budget that ESI, after it was launched, received as well. So while I may not be able to speak on behalf of the other budget that was um, allocated and spent on, but KBS through ESI, we've done the best we could in 2021. Um, so the budget that we received in 2021, uh, well, it wasn't the first time that we received the budget. I mean, after all, we also received the budget for the hub uh, that came from budget 2020 for us to build the hub, but unfortunately, pandemic happened and we are still uh, in the midst of the development, but also happy to announce that it will be completed February 2022. Uh, but I am personally still trying to make sure that it is going to happen much sooner, but no later than that. But the official CCC will be in March. But nonetheless, that was in 2020. And in 2021, the budget that we received, we did everything we could. I think one of the most prominent thing that we did in 2021 um, was the Malaysia Sports League, the inaugural and the first time that we did it nationwide in which we looked into um, beyond the professional players of esports, um, which is to some extent already covered under Malaysia Sports Championship that is also hosted by KBS through ESI and many other competitions on uh, Malaysian level like the MPL, you know, Mobile Legends Pro League or the PMPL and it, it goes to regional and whatnot. But for MEL specifically, as it was the inaugural, the first time that we held it, we worked together with the um, Esports Association, all the states, and um, we had 40, almost 40,000 um, participants nationwide. And we took pride in providing a platform for grassroots um, players because we didn't allow um, more than one or two, depending on the type of uh, game titles of pro players. So there's still some uh, pro players involved, but not the whole team. So we, we were able to create a platform for more grassroots players from all parts of uh, the nation. So that was the first one, um, Malaysia Sports League. We'll be hosting Malaysia Sports Championship for the second time, um, December this year. It was hosted last year, the first time. We held our ESI Conference 2, in which we brought esports on top of it, just largely being seen as a you know gaming and nothing beyond, um, to have a conversation about what it should be, and we covered many different sectors in esports alone, including from event organization to regulation to advocacy to ethics and whatnot. There was also ESI conference. Uh, currently, still happening is the Malaysia Sports Festival, in which we did it in conjunction with Hari Belia Negara and Hari Sukan Negara. That was one of our many ways to ensure that 
the ecosystem is vibrant, so there are more things happening. And my favorite thing that happened this year um, is ESI Masterclass, and uh, which is essentially a capacity building program, because I truly believe that there is a strong potential and um, an opportunity for not just esports players, but for esports enthusiasts in general, which includes from casting, you know, to streaming, to becoming coach, to people becoming event organizer, to people becoming graphic designer or esports, you know, gaming developer themselves. And all that is covered under ESI Masterclass, in which we are going to do more next year and it's going to be bigger. One of the focus as well on the ESI. And, um, and also we've been working on the National Esports Regulatory Gu- Guideline, which we can talk about later. But all in all, um, what I can tell you, Hanif, is that in 2021, the budget that we received, although it was not in full for ESI, because there are also other agencies that, that were allocated, but on behalf of KBS and ESI, we did the best we could. And if it wasn't transparent enough, if it wasn't seen enough or tangible enough, then I'll take that as a constructive feedback and... Next year, the moment we receive the budget again, we will do a lot more and we will make sure that it is transparent and people can see what we do and also involve more and more stakeholders to be able to also enjoy um, the budget that MOF has allocated. Mm, yeah, I think that that's, that's a good perspective to take considering that I think maybe to a certain extent you're right I think uh, a lot of people out there who may not be I guess close enough to the scene they may not really necessarily see all the efforts that you've made right but at the same time I think there is also a need to somehow I guess work towards at least getting the word out and making yeah, raising more awareness yeah raising awareness yeah you're right I think that that's that's the I guess most important thing I think because because when it comes to things like this I think the public is invested as well right um, yes. you know because it involves their quote unquote money as <laughs> to a certain yep. extent and mine too and yours too as well right we're all taxpayers <laughs> yeah exactly okay you already had a lot of things in place from last year's uh, budget uh, so will it be uh, more of the same for this year's allocation or will you be planning something else that's perhaps you know different entirely for this year's allocation well it will um, most things that were done this year will also happen again next year so the Malaysian Sports League will still be there and we hope this time around we'll get more sponsors, we'll do bigger, we'll give more cash price and we can definitely talk about the tax exemption for esports winnings later as well. So MEL is set out to uh, eventually become the main league and we'll connect MEL and MEC with many other tournaments and we are we have spoken to um, the prominent game publishers but nothing to announce just yet. Um, but the quick answer is that most of the things that we did this year uh, will also happen again next year. While we aspire to do more, um, but I think I think that's something that we can only talk about further the moment the specific budget allocation will be explained by MOF. Um, because as you know, the, when the, the budget was um, tabled two days ago, we just know the, the big figure rather than you know what exactly does it entail. So that will happen in the in a, in the, the upcoming weeks. And the moment we know that, they'll be able to make uh, better plannings next year. Um, however, like I said, similar things that we've done this year will also be done again next year, hopefully. More things to do. I think this is something that I need to say, that in the end, we cannot only rely on the government budget. Um, we definitely need more inv- investment coming from the private um, entity. As it stands, there is already a healthy uh, appetite by brands, not investing yet, but more like advertising in esports, there are some big brands that have taken on uh, esports teams because they see value in it, which is definitely a good thing, and we welcome that very much. Uh, but in in context of development, uh, as, as as it may not be as sexy and return immediate have re- immediate ROI, uh, but we definitely welcome and need more um, private sector to invest and spend in um, esports as well. 
We want to do more. We want to do more. So I think I started off this this interview by saying that uh, I was hoping for more budget, right, from MOF. Um, so I guess some of the planning that we had included that because we wanted also to look into infrastructure a lot more. Well, there's there's already um, the hub in in Puchong and the impact. There's also um, a youth hub in um, Penang and some small esports studios that MSN uh, is still developing, but. Um, infrastructure is very important because in the end, if you are unable to ensure that there is equal access for all walks of life to be able to enjoy esports, um, then we're not doing enough. So I was hoping to receive a bit more budget to do infra. So maybe we can definitely look into the sports complex under KBS and ensure that it is well equipped with esports so that the youth within that area can also come and enjoy it on top of whatever that we already have in the Klang Valley as well as Puchong. So that is something that I'm hoping for. So, but nothing that I can say now, we'll have to wait for the exact budget allocation for when MOF visits all the ministries. And we'll be there too, and we'll hear, and we'll start planning. And maybe the next interview we have, Hanif, and I can tell you more as to what we're going to do in 2022. But I am very hopeful. All right. Okay. So uh, you mentioned a bit earlier about how, I guess, the job to invest in the industry does not uh, rely heavily on just the government, right? As much as they must be there to help, but I know it also must involve other other parties, right? Um, where are we with regard to that? Especially considering that I think, uh, you know, with the pandemic, is it a priority for a lot of like private entities out there to, you know, somehow put money into into the industry right now? Um, whether or not it is enough, definitely not. The more money to be poured in, the moment we can stop talking about this is when it is enough. That's for sure, right? Um, so currently, we are still working on it. In doing so, I think the duty not only falls on the private themselves to see the value. Of course, we need to play a role as well to ensure that um, the attraction to do so and the returns of doing so um, will be seen and is visible. Um, but where are we now on it? Uh, that's that's a tough one, to be honest, um, because the appetite of the private entity currently, like I said, is largely on the eyeballs and the value, right, um, rather than the development. The moment they see esports as one that can generate revenue for youth, one that can become a solid career path for the youth, not only to become esports players, but many other ones, esports become a proper industry with the right regulation, um, balanced with um, the ability for private entity to uh, make profit, then we'll be able to see it through much better. Um, but currently, I think when it comes to um, ESI, we are also talking to many parties to bring them on board. Um, like MEC and MEL or even ESI Conference and Lissy Sports Festival. Unfortunately, it has only seen, it is still a pilot. I mean, running it for the first time and we, we, we cannot just go out and be like, oh, this is KBS's work and therefore, you know, come and spend with us too or invest in this. We need to prove to them and therefore, that's why I said earlier that it is also on our it is also our duty to ensure that there is a clear returns and it is attractive enough for them to come. And having run MEL for the first time, looking at the numbers as well, I'm quite certain that um, there'll be interest and appetite in the future. MEC happening for the second time this time around um, still didn't look as good. I think it's because the first time MEC was done, it wasn't a big event. Um, we only had a small portion to do so. And you see, we didn't have time, much time to look for more sponsors because of the pandemic. But it's very possible. And um, I think while I told you that uh, I'm not able to answer your question now, but everything is in motion. Everyone is gearing up to do so. And I think it's no longer a secret that esports is a big industry. It's a lucrative industry. And there's a lot of people that is in, uh, involved in it. 
the thing that needs to change is the narrative. That is it just an industry that has a lot of people watching and that, you know, there's high returns or is it also important for the development of the youth in Malaysia and that it can become very much an industry that will give huge returns to the GDP or to, you know, the government. Um, that narrative has yet to properly set in and that is our duty and I believe KDS is invested to, um, you know, focus on that narrative and control it too and to make sure that it is one that will benefit the public sector a whole lot more. Um, so we're going well. Uh, that's my answer for now, Hanif. That was Ahmed Faris Amir, CEO of Esports Integrated, talking about the recent allocation made to esports in this year's budget 2022. We're going to make way for some messages. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Well Played on BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to BFM's Budget 2022 Special, brought to you by Ma Singh. This BFM Budget 2022 Special is brought to you by Ma Singh. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Well Played, I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. We've been talking about the allocation made to esports in the recently tabled budget 2022 and joining me on the show to talk about how the money will be spent is Ahmed Faris Amir, CEO of Esports Integrated. One of the aspirations that we have when it comes to growing our esports industry is in making Malaysia one of the esports hubs in Southeast Asia. So the natural question to ask is where are we now in this regard? The word hub could mean many things. Um, some will view it as a physical hub where people will come to our country and, you know, or it could also be a hub where um, it nurtures great talents. So, there, so there are two parts. Let's just focus on these two things first. And l- let's talk about the esports um, hub that nurtures great talents. I think we're doing very well. Um, Malaysia is a powerhouse in um, the game titles that uh, is very popular here. PUBG and Mobile Legends and winning SEA Games before. I think in terms of talents, Malaysia has proven to become a country that that has some good ones, right? Um, while they are largely playing under the um, private esports teams, which is nothing wrong there. Um, but perhaps with the upcoming session tournaments, we'll be able to showcase more of them because them uh, representing these players, representing the private teams, uh, nonetheless are great because they are still Malaysian playing in esports, am I right? So the moment we have more sanctioned tournaments where Malaysia really can represent and showcase its talents and national athletes, that is when we can really, you know, decide whether or not we are on our way to become an esports hub in the context of talent nurture, talent development. In the context of it becoming a hub, while in, in terms of uh, Malaysia being a physical location for esports to come, That is actually something that we aspire to do. And this is actually my answer to what we intend to do next year and this is something new. Um, but we still don't know yet whether there is a budget for it. We wanted to become a partner and to co-host or and to bid for regional tournament to be brought here in Malaysia. Uh, as, you, as you know, M1, um, the World Championship of Mobile Legends was hosted in Malaysia. And then um, uh, and there are many other tournaments that could be here but hasn't yet. Um, in fact, there was also another game title that we were in talks with, but um, there was not enough um, assurance that we will be out of the pandemic and that there will be, you know, proper tournament to be hosted here that will allow physical audience and that it will be celebrated and everything. So we couldn't do that this year. But next year, we do hope that we get to do that. So in the context of it being a physical location as a hub, we have um, in the pipeline two regional tournaments that we want to 
bring here, but not something I can share just yet. Um, but yes, there is a plan to do so. And if it does happen next year, then I think it will be a good reflection of how Malaysia is a good location for esports to um, esports tournaments to be hosted here. And in the context of esports tournament as well, other than having great talents and the moment when other talents coming from different countries can come here and we can do a bit of a you know collaboration and get them to run masterclasses or a bit of a talent uh, knowledge sharing and everything. But there's also a need for us to prove that there will be a strong audience and a physical audience coming to support um, those esports tournaments and watch and celebrate and um, cheer for their favorite teams. I'm sure you've also seen some of the esports tournaments that was hosted elsewhere. You know, maybe TI, uh, the international that was recently concluded. People go crazy. It's like watching football as well or any any of your other, you know, favorite sports. Watch rugby, watch hockey or tennis or badminton, right? That can unite people. Esports can do exactly the same thing. And I believe that, in, that it will be even more because the youth will rally behind esports. So uh, if we do manage to bring regional tournaments here or in fact, you know, world championships again next year and we really do want to. Um, we'll ensure as well there will be a strong support from the audience to come and I, I believe investors or advertisers will want to see that as well. If it happens, then we can prove and be at a better position to answer the question whether Malaysia is on its way to become, you know, the hub in South Asia. But currently, everything's in the pipeline and that is one of our major aspirations to turn Malaysia as an, as an esports hub in South Asia. Okay. So since you mentioned the international just now, I think we have to speak about it. Um, the international ended recently and while we did not have any teams uh, representing the country uh, in this year's tournament, we did have a bunch of Malaysian players that participated and uh, we have one Malaysian player, nothing to say, making it to the final. Uh, so the recent budget has also announced that there will be tax exemptions uh, from the winnings that these players have received. Um, that's good news. I, I would like to think so. Uh, but beyond that, what else are we doing or can we do to support established players of international caliber as well as budding individual players um, from the country? It has to be an equal access to all. I think the reason and something that we need to discuss is why were there no Malaysian teams um, representing Malaysia in Dota 2 and, and these players were representing outside teams, right? Rather than a Chinese team to be specific, rather than Malaysian teams. Um, that's because Dota 2 is um, not as accessible as perhaps Mobile Legends or PUBG because it's more expensive to train. It's more expensive to invest I mean, as simple as in order for you to play Dota 2 and to play it well, you need a PC setup. Uh, and on the other hand, Mobile Legends or PUBG, for example, only require a mobile device and therefore it is more accessible. So I think this is what, what, what we mentioned earlier. On top of tax exemption, which I agree with you, it's a good thing. It will definitely encourage more people, you know, to become a pro player and do well and win and, and keep that earning rather than it going back to government. Although I beg to refer that I'm sure... It's a much better story to say that esports also contribute to the GDP a lot more or tax to be more specific, right? Uh, but it's okay. I, I welcome it and I believe it's a good thing nonetheless. However, uh, tax exemption alone could be it but could not be enough. And I believe equal access to infrastructure um, is the answer and we need to do so because if we want to say that we are able to produce um, you know, global level talents, but they are concentrated in the Klang Valley or concentrated within a certain income bracket, which is uh, unfair. And there's nothing much to say about that. I mean, of course, if these people come from a certain income bracket and they are able to also partake in these sports that require a certain amount of investment, that could very well be privilege, right? So how do we ensure that this privilege can be enjoy, enjoyed by all walks of life? And the only way to do so is by providing equal access 
Mm. Um, you mentioned earlier that um, why 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 don't we have you know Malaysian teams you know representing the country in tournaments like the international, right? I think to be fair, well, once upon a time we used to have one or two teams you know representing Malaysia uh, in these tournaments, and yet now yeah we don't seem to have you know any more teams you know going to the international right or tournaments of the international caliber, right? How how are you planning to I guess almost rectify, but how are you planning to bring Malaysian teams back into these kind right. of tournaments? So these these sort of game titles that. So on top of whatever that I've said earlier, right? Equal access or on top of um, ensuring that everyone can also partake. Um, and this is a simple equation. And how the government, and I guess in this context, ESI, work with uh, game publishers and able to do more for the, for the community and ecosystem is by hosting more tournaments. When tournaments uh, are hosted, game publishers are happy because more people will be involved. There'll be more people watching it, right? Other than the audience, the players, So their game titles then, you know, if there especially is a, is a, if there's a cash prize, then more people will be attracted and join. So similarly, ESI and the government also needs to do so. So for example, in Mobile Legends and PUBG has a lot of tournaments and people do celebrate it and they do partake and they do win and therefore a lot of conversations around it and, and people, there are more people inspired to also play and they have enough influence and icons for them to also follow suit. Dota 2 could also be it as an example. Pretty much why? Under ESI, our tournaments will always ensure that there are at least two game, that is mobile game titles. And there's one PC game title and there's also one console game title. Even better, we can have four mobile game titles or two PC. And that's one of the way that we get to um, get people to play more of these things. And Dota 2 were the game uh, title that we played in MEC and MEL as well. And a lot of people do watch it. So while there may not be as many players in Malaysia because it's quite there's a high entry barrier to play it, but there was a lot of, of interest and people watching it still. So maybe that's that's one of the many ways that we can do so and we'll continue doing that. And something that I've spoken about before, I believe, that when it comes to these game titles, there are many considerations that we need to look into on top of whether or not there is a mass interest and there's a lot of people surrounding it, playing it. There's also a need for us to ensure that um, we will also host game titles that will be help at sanctioned tournaments like Sea Games and Asian Games because ESI play a role there too in a way to provide a platform for these talents to get exposure, to you know try out and perhaps form teams and go further than that. So after they win a tournament that we host or many other tournaments that, that they participate in, then that can also be a stepping stone and whatnot. So all in all, it is about celebrating these game titles. So if there's any game title that is lucrative but has a high entry barrier on top of ensuring equal you know, opportunities for it, we can also then allow more of it to celebrate so that people see that there is a focus surrounding it and more talents can be developed through these tournaments. That's how we can do it, Hanif. Okay. All right. And speaking of tournaments, yeah, you mentioned Asian Games and also Sea Games, I think, for next year, right? Um, so will ESI be involved in prepping our athletes for those tournaments? Um, no, we will not. Um, at least under KBS, um, the three agencies, in fact, four, Uh, that are involved in esports play a different role. Um, that is Majlis Sukanegara that looks into high performance. So the answer to your question is that MSN will be the one doing it. Jabatan Belia dan Sukanegara looks into esports for all. So they look into more grassroots, um, the persatuans and whatnot. And not just persatuan, but also different states that are running esports events and there'll be funding for it too. YESA looks into the ecosystem and PGS looks into the regulation. They are the Pesurujai Sukan. Apart from all these four players under KBS, uh, there's also the National Sports Association of the Malaysia Esports Federation um, in which we work with the state associations for MEL. So for prepping the national 
athletes and selecting them as well. It will be a work with work done between Majlis Sukanegara and MESF. Um, and we will not be involved in it, but ESI will play a role perhaps to ensure there is a strong pool for them to select from. And there is also a level of pathway for people to partake in in order for them to be seen and be scouted or be discovered before they become the national athlete. Um, so yeah, so quick answer is that we will not directly be involved. That will be the work by MSN and uh, Malaysia Sports Federation, which I believe uh, they've done great work um, in the 4C games. We want a gold medal, we want silver, or was it bronze for Mobile Legends? Um, so I'm sure they will do more considering that there are a lot more talents now and ESI will assist the best that we could by providing the platform and ensuring that whoever that we know uh, that are great will push them out, showcase them a lot more so that they can also be discovered and to represent Malaysia. So MSN and MSI will be doing that and I believe they'll do great things again, just like how they did before. Alright, okay. Uh, I would like to take this conversation to a slightly different tangent. Um, in November 2019, I think the government under the previous administration um, released a blueprint called uh, Strategic Plan for Esports Development 2020 to 2025. Um, this blueprint outlined the plan for esports uh, for the next five years uh, beginning in 2020 with five specific priorities. Uh, is this blueprint still being used as a guideline in the development of esports in this country? It is colloquially, colloquially known as blueprint. Um, but it is more of a plan. Lah. So you're right. Uh, it is called Strategic um, Development for Esports. And it's KBS Strategic Esports Development Plan um, rather than the Blueprint. But it's okay. Let's just stick to what it is more known as the Blueprint. A quick answer is yes. It is still very much um, in play, still very much um, being used and as a guideline. After all, ESI's uh, roadmap were based on that. And all the work that we did, like Malaysia Sports League, um, launching the uh, national esports platform and uh, working on the the hub and MEC and this you know national esports regulatory guideline, all that is based on um, the blueprint as how you as how you coined it earlier or how most people coined it earlier. So yes, it is still very much and yes, I roadmap was based on it too. So safe to say that it is. So at the same time, I think. There's also an underlying question there, whether or not the work done by the first minister that looked into esports is still being carried out by the ministers who then came in after in considering our political climate. It's a big yes. So I'm very happy and very proud with all the three ministers I've served for the past three years since, you know, Wabi Said Sadiq, Tutu is American, and now Wabi Tutu Sri, um, Faisal to Azumu. All three of them took huge interest in esports and also see the potential of esports and have continuously invested their energy uh, and effort. Recently, Dr. Faisal, Dr. Faisal came down to MPL, you know, to launch it, um, and we were there as well as a co-host together with KBS, um, with Mobile Legends, and there'll be more um, that will be happening in the future. Uh, having said that, I think. Uh, well, all I'm saying is I'm thankful, and that yes, it is still very much being used as the guideline for the esports ecosystem, honey. I tend to do that, right? I tend to get carried away and talk about different things. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so I think looking at the quote-unquote blueprint again, uh, it seems that there are items here that are heavily reliant on funding and I think we've touched a lot on funding but there are also items here or, or well, one specific item that I think is something that, you know, well, I, I guess from, from an outsider's perspective can be done with less funding, I suppose, to a certain extent, mm-hmm. um, which is working towards responsible gaming and esports ethics, right? 
to a certain extent, I think uh, we've spoken about this before, but yeah, I would just like to get an update from you um, in terms of uh, how ESI or, you know, even your partners have been doing with regard to, I guess, improving uh, the public perception of esports and, and, you know, other things that are part of the objectives. Because I think, like you said earlier, I think, um, you know, there is this perception that still, I guess, we're still having to deal with, right, when it comes to esports. So, yeah. Do you have any up- updates on that? Yes. Two different parts when it comes to what you just said. One is advocacy. Another one is a matter of regulation. Yeah. So advocacy, advocacy. I think we're doing well. And in fact, it's not just ESI that is doing it. There are many other players as well that continuously try to advocate for a healthier gaming uh, ecosystem uh, from telling people that you should balance physical activity and esports as well to tell people that you shouldn't be toxic when you're um, involved in esports when you're gaming at night or in the morning, whenever it is, don't be toxic. Uh, no bullying, and we're trying our best to ensure that there is no that you know minors are protected. Uh, anti-cheating efforts. When it comes to advocacy, we are doing well, and it's not just ESI. To say we are doing well is also unfair because I don't know what is the acceptance on the public level. We'll eventually look into it too. But currently, in terms of the efforts done by different parties to advocate for a healthier, uh, for a stronger ethics in the esports ecosystem. Um, a lot of people are doing it, and therefore I say we are right on track in doing that. In the context of regulation, because this is how we really can enforce it. Uh, no, I wouldn't say enforce it, I think. I think more like how we can really do more uh, in order to ensure that it is uh, ethics and integrity are upholded. Something that we've spoken about in this interview and also in the previous interview, something that we call National Esports Regulatory Guideline. Um, it is currently on a ministry level um, in which um, it is being, being spearheaded by Bahagian Dasar and Strategy, uh, BDS of the ministry, and it has involved, um, it has brought in uh, brought in all the other players in, in KDS. Again, still at the ministry level, so we're still talking about what is the best way to work it out, who should we engage, and there are five different stages that we've outlined in, in doing so, uh, which includes... Um, issue identification and agenda building, benchmarking and input gathering, then we'll move into development stage and then evaluation and fine tuning and then we'll launch an awareness campaign. All these things that we're looking to when it comes to NERG, the one question that we haven't truly answered is whether or not you become an act or a policy or whether it will just become, you know, like a best practice for people to follow. Because the question then will always come back to how do we enforce these things, especially when game publishers are the real owners of all these, you know, esports games, and rather than the, the public sector, so it's difficult to enforce. But as much as I can say this, I believe that there is also enough and strong um, intention coming from private entity to ensure that it is safe and the kids are protected and people are protected, and and welfare of players uh, being paid salary that they deserve and and everything. So there is a strong intention as well. But we have to come together lah to the table. So while ESI is playing a secretariat role to some extent, feeding and and on top of drafting it as well, we will definitely engage all the stakeholders. Malaysia Sports Federation will definitely be invited and many other players as well. You know, the event organizers, the game publishers, all of them will have to come to the table and even even the academicians, you know, and, and all of them have to come and discuss about what's best and we need to meet in the middle. So that we're looking at um, as early as March next year or and latest by June to July for it to be launched. Um, and of course, it takes a while. Uh, development stage alone and benchmarking and input gathering alone will take a while. Um, but if we expedite it, especially if there is strong willingness coming from all these parties, then I'm sure we can come together and ensure that we can uh, introduce, promote, inculcate, and hopefully 
enforced as well, a much better and safer esports environment. On top of what you just asked me, there's also something that I mentioned, you know, a little bit about balancing physical activities. That is where ISN or Institute Sukarnagara will, you know, step into and look into esports science um, to ensure that that people know how to uh, healthily play esports, not 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 too many hours. How you should sit, how you should hold your console, and what how many hours you need to also you know do physical activities. ISN is very much looking into that as well, and they've started on the advocacy, but they'll also be looking to best practice in the future. So all that as a whole, Hanif, um, is our commitment to ensure that the ecosystem will be healthy and uphold integrity and it will be safer for all walks of life. And we are very much on the right track. So look out and watch out for the announcement on it, perhaps in Q2 next year. All right, that's great. Uh, I think based based on um, the tone that you've been carrying throughout the interview, it feels like you're very optimistic with the growth of esports industry uh, in the coming years. Um, any last words on, on overseeing this growth? Any last words? Huh? You know, one thing, Hanif, I must say this. Personally, I'm not an esports guy. <laughs> uh, Impact, after all, is a strategic analyst agency to KBS, and we have many different portfolios. And esports is one of the six portfolios that we run currently. And and being a new player to the scene, I am undeniably in love with the ecosystem. I love the things that people do. I'm proud of the things that we've done, and very optimistic of the things that we need to do in the future. But above all, as an outsider coming into the ecosystem, which currently may be seen like an esports person, I am hopeful. And I believe at least the message that the government sends by consistently giving a budget to the esports is a really good signal. Tax exemption is a good signal and I'm sure the esports enthusiasts receive it well. More people should come to the table. I think a call to action, if ever, for me, um, to the people listening here, if you are an investor, if you are a brand that is thinking about spending in, in esports, it is now. The time is now. There is a strong ecosystem. It is healthy. And it is on top of giving you good returns due to the eyeballs and the interest surrounding it. It is also good for our youth. The development that we do in the future for esports, be it through capacity building, be it through providing infrastructure, will only and definitely allow our youth to not only love the, and enjoy the activity, but also generate revenue from it and in fact create wealth because it is a lucrative industry after all. So advertisers do come here or investors do look into esports, um, the ecosystem is great and ESI welcomes you together with the Ministry of Youth and Sports. You're tuned in to GG Well Played and that was Ahmed Faris Amir, CEO of Esports Integrated, commenting on the allocation made to our esports industry in Budget 2022. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, look for the podcast on pfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at pfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on and stay safe. Till next Next time, GG will play. This BFM Budget 2022 special was brought to you by Mars Singh. Reinvent spaces, enhance life. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.